Welcome to PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. I'm Nell McCormack-Abom, alongside my co-host, Jim Hohen, Central Pennsylvania Regional President of PNC Bank. Well, thanks, Nell. PNC C-Speak, the language of executives, is a podcast that features local executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. This knowledge-sharing platform showcases leaders with forward-thinking approaches that disrupt the status quo and cause us to think differently. Our guest today is Bob Hortensio, executive chairman and co-founder of Select Medical, one of the largest operators of critical illness recovery hospitals, rehabilitation hospitals, outpatient rehabilitation centers, and occupational health centers in the United States. Welcome to C-Speak, Bob. Thank you, Nell and Jim. I'm, I'm, it's so excited to be here. It's great. Thank you. Well, we're so proud to have you on the show today. Um, just a little background for our listeners. You and your dad, Rocco, founded the company back in 1996, and Select Medical and its parent company, Select Medical Holdings Corporation, now employ more than 50,000 colleagues caring for more than 82,000 patients every day across your care system, which is nationwide. That's really remarkable. Well, and it sounds even more impressive when you say it that way, so thank you. Yes, uh, we're very proud of all of our clinicians and our colleagues, and, you know, that's uh, that's seven days a week, 365 days a year, about 82,000, uh, uh, you know, encounters with patients and uh, across 46 states uh, in our country, so we're very proud of that. Thank you. Yeah, it's amazing success, and, and you, you should be proud from the startup in 96 to roughly $6 billion in revenue today. We'd be very interested to know a little bit about some of the success factors and critical factors that help you achieve the scale that you're at today. How, how did this all happen? Well, you know, w- with respect to scaling the company, and that's something you always consider. When, when Rocky and I started the company, we knew we'd have opportunities nationwide. And with our experience, we, we thought we would would we didn't, maybe didn't expect that we'd grow this large, but we knew that we would grow. So one of the decisions we made early on was to centralize many of the services that we that we do here in, in central Pennsylvania. Now you remember 25 years ago, a lot of it was out there in the in the business literature was about decentralization and uh, you know get the decisions closer to the where the business was. But what we found on many many of the, the the things that we provide in the company, so whether it was billing collection or payroll or tax or finance, IT, all of that we decided to bring here centrally and build it. So, for example, today with our 60,000 employees, all of them are paid payroll from here. All of their benefits are administered here in central Pennsylvania. So we had to build that. And that was really helpful for us, not only in terms of cost, but as we grew by not only uh, development, but by acquisition, we were able to snap those operations on and bring them into those those uh, what we call shared services. I'm just kind of curious, though, what was it about Central Pennsylvania that made you think that we can do this, we can build this company here, both in terms of the talent you were going to have, but the expertise uh, medically, too, the doctors, etc. I think in the beginning, you probably had people saying, you're going to have to move somewhere else. You're going to have to, you know, as you said, decentralize it or even locate the headquarters elsewhere. What made you, too, very confident about Central Pennsylvania and building a successful company like this? 
Well, it's a funny thing about confidence, and I think a lot of business leaders, they're perceived as having a lot of confidence. And speaking for myself, I didn't necessarily have a, a lot of confidence, but there was no choice. We're from central Pennsylvania. We grew up here. We have deep roots. Our families are here. I was educated not too far from here. So it was never a thought that we would, would go anywhere else. And, you know, as we got started and we started developing our teams and recruiting people from around, we found that, that being here actually turned out to be very much of a competitive advantage. Now, 25 years ago is, was probably much more difficult and a different environment th than it is than it is today. Back then, as I, as I remember back 20 years ago, I've, it was most difficult to recruit young people here. People didn't, you know, as a young single person, what did Harrisburg have to offer? And then what, I, what we sold was, well, you have access to Baltimore, to Philly, to Washington, to New York City easily. Now, for older executives, those with families, once you got them here, they, 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 wouldn't leave. they weren't leaving. I mean, they love the quality of life. They love the affordability. They love the great public schools. They love the work ethic, the, the kind of the, 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 the stability of, of this whole environment and, and fell in love with it as I have over my entire lifespan. So it was, today, it's, 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 it's much easier. But it doesn't just take brains. You know, Jim, there are a lot of smart people out there. When you're going to build a company from how you started to $6 billion in revenue a year, you got to have that fortitude, that, that gut that's willing to take risks. Is that a key component of your leadership style, to have the willingness to risk and to go for it? Well, you know, when you're when you're in it, you never think about risk. The, the people think about entrepreneurs as being risk takers, and I think the successful entrepreneurs are the ones who think about risk and do the best they can to minimize the risk. So I never really thought about it as a risk. I thought there's some things you just say, well, this is the way we're going to do it. So then you don't you don't contemplate it and you don't obsess about it as a risk. And you look at things as opportunities. And, and that's what I think that's what we always tried to do. And even to this day, as a very mature company, I, I spend as much of my time not thinking about what's the next risk that we might take, but what's the best way to do what we do while doing everything we can to minimize that risk. So you're located all around the country, and you talked a little bit about some part of the scale and how you look to centralize some of the operational aspects, but you're still everywhere. You're still you know, coast to coast. And so how do you maintain the select medical culture when you have such a far-reaching enterprise? Well, that's that's a that's a tough question. And early on in, in a company's life, when you're small, it, it takes on the it takes on the the personality of the leaders because you interact with people all the day. Now we long since left that time where we were interacting. So it was about educating the leaders. I mean, you think about our operations the, from a an individual clinic to a large hospital, each of those operations have to have their own leaders. And so for us, it's it's not about recruiting. You you can't recruit enough leaders in, in that situation. It's about identifying people that have the skill and the interests and then mentoring and training and being very intentional about building leadership within your company. I'm, I'm proud of the fact that within Select, we have 16 different leadership development programs that we implement across the entire enterprise for people that have identified that have the interest and the skills 
to develop in the organization and have leaders. And that's what you, that's what you have to do. It, it just can't – it's simply not about recruiting. You can't recruit. You've got to build right, your own. But break it down for us a little bit because I, I think Jim and I are both curious about – what do you see as leadership qualities and what do you nurture? Specifically, you know, what are the attributes, the traits of people that you're building that deep bench? What do you look for specifically as the CEO? What do you want to see in people? Well, let me, let me say something about, about leadership. Uh, you know, I've been fortunate to have so many great leaders that I've learned from inside Select Medical and leaders that I've come across through my 40-year career who I, I've admired and, I, and, and I've seen. It. And what I would say that my observation is there's no one template for a great leader. I've seen leaders who are introverts. I've seen leaders who are extroverts. I've seen leaders who are charismatic. I've seen some that are not charismatic. I've seen some that are inte- exceptionally intelligent, high IQs, and others which I put myself in, that less so with the high IQ. But, you know, so there's, there's no one thing about a leader. Obviously, you want to look for the people that have, that show some leadership or can develop that leadership and are genuine. You know, they have to be comfortable in their own, in their own skin. They, they have to be authentic, those two things. But if you ask me specifically, what is the, the one characteristic that is a thread that I look for in leaders – it would be humility. And I've talked about this with our, with our team and with our staff. I think the willingness and the ability to be humble, even as you have success in your career, is, is absolutely essential. Because I, I do believe that, again, in my observation over the years, that oftentimes where leaders get into trouble is that they've had a certain amount of success in their career and they begin to believe that they know the answers. Right. And what happens is we don't have the answers all of us as leaders and the bigger the organization gets, the further you may be away from the problems on the ground. And you have to have the humility to be able to listen. I think of the opposite of humility is really arrogance. But arrogance can can visualize itself in many ways. To me, arrogance is the ability or the, the unwillingness to listen. If you're not listening, you're not learning. And if you're not learning, you're not really able to lead. So I, I think what I look for in all of our leaders, the people that work with me, is a, a very high dose uh, of humility. My favorite saying is, before I kind of address something, it's like, I may be wrong, but. And, and I think that that invites some people to give their views, give me the opportunity to learn to make the best decisions I can. So that humility, and I know you, I know a bit about your company, obviously, Bob. And and but humility, I know collaboration is huge. So it seems to go hand in hand that humility and collaboration, which is a hallmark. Can can you speak a little bit more about that in terms of teamwork and collaboration? Well, you know, you think about collaboration in 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 many ways. First, if you look at our core values, uh, being team players, being results oriented, and collaborating and solving problems are all part of our of our core values in our company. And so we always what I like to say is on our best day we are all of those things and and on our worst days we're not and we learn from that. But if if you have that sense of collaboration of teamwork and your willingness to work with it it, it brings other opportunities. 
I think we're also well known as a great partnering company. We do a lot of partnerships with some very big, very prestigious, large healthcare systems. I'm very proud of the partnership we have here in central Pennsylvania with Penn State Health as well as with UPMC. But we have those partnerships across the country with Cleveland Clinic, with UCLA in Los Angeles, Cedar sinai Emory, Baylor, household names in healthcare systems. And collaboration, humility, and a sense of partnership and working together, it, it kind of becomes ingrained in our DNA, and it's it's been very successful for us. I'm glad you brought that up because I had the opportunity a couple of years ago uh, to work on a project with Select Medical, and I went out to your facility, the California Rehabilitation Institute. Your partners there, UCLA, Cedars-Sinai. You know, we're talking about some of the premier healthcare entities. That hospital is 3,000 miles away. As we said, you have 127 hospitals. What I observed was a quality of care where the doctors, the nurses, the therapists who worked with these people were unbelievably caring. And they're dealing with some of the most horrific injuries that people have, terrible illnesses that have taken a toll. And yet they bring those patients to a level of, of ability to live again in a way that's meaningful. And I wonder, that's culture. How did you instill that kind of culture? And how would you describe the culture of care you're trying to engender across the board at Select Medical? Well, there, there's, there, there's, a, there's a bit there now. And I would say that with respect to culture, as, as the company grows, you have to first articulate your culture and then you, you, have, to, you have to live it. You, you have to prove it every day on your best days. All of your executives and people throughout the organization are willing to take a stand for the things that you are that are part of your values. And if you know, I always use the example. I says it to, to our people. I says it really take. It's really hard when I talk to our employees. Oftentimes, I say it's really hard to be successful at Select because you have to be results oriented, and you have to do the things that we say are important. You have to meet your goals, but you have to do it our way. And sometimes the hardest thing to do as executive or any business owner is uh, is that when you see something that is maybe good in one way for the company. So like you say, you have an executive who delivers the results every quarter, quarter after quarter, and Jim knows month after month, the results are there. But yet they're maybe getting those results in a way and exhibiting characteristics that are not consistent with your culture about the way you treat people or the way you take feedback or your sense of humility and so forth. Those are hard conversations too. Well, there's nothing that moves a culture forward than everybody being willing to see that you're willing to take action on that, even if you view that some might view that a person is not going to be asked to leave the organization because they deliver X, Y, or Z, and if they're not doing it as part of your culture. When you, can, when you do that, it's very powerful, and it, it, helps, it helps grow your culture more than almost anything else you can do, is showing at those rare opportunities that you have, you have to do that. So we, we talk a lot about our culture, but we also, you know, on our best days, we, we live our culture. And when we have an opportunity to make a hard decision, which is consistent with our values, we view that as an opportunity. So you're talking to people around the country, uh, your, your existing partners and potential partners down, down the road on an ongoing basis. 
is that same type of philosophy or, or understanding of culture flow through to those conversations when you look to potentially add someone to the select medical well, family of businesses? You, you, you try to, but you know, in today's day and age, people talk a lot about culture. They talk about the environment that you work on, but uh, you know, sadly, I think there's a lot more talk and a lot more posters and a lot more, uh, you know, pamphlets that talk about it than actually people living it. So it's pretty hard to, to if we're competing for a partnership, yeah, sure, we'd like to, to tell people about our values and our culture. But when you're on the outside until you're involved, and I think it's gratifying to me that some of our partners that we've had for 8, 10, 12, 15 years will say yes. That, that to me, that's very gratifying. I think what we lead with in terms of developing new partnerships is, you know, our quality and our, our reputation. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we have four hospitals that are in the U.S. News and World Report list of top rehab hospitals in the United States. That's not, that's not easily done. Every rehab hospital in the nation competes for that. So, you know, you, you've got to have all of those things that you can articulate that are measurable, quality scores and indicators and... Um, I was going to say, is that a metric you actually set out there and say to them, we want to have four or five hospitals in those top listings? Is that something you seek or do you think that naturally comes as a result of the kind of business practices and quality of care you're putting into the company? Do you know what I mean? Is yes, it... I do know what you mean and it's a, it's a great question. Certainly some some of the awards you get are subjective. You know, mm-hmm. they they always are. But one of the things that we did early on, and this was part of the centralization, we are the leaders, we are the largest providers in three of our four segments and the second largest in the fourth. We have an amazing uh, opportunity to benchmark against ourselves. So we made investments in data collection, data analytics, artificial intelligence, so that we can collect data on all of our operations and we can benchmark against ourselves on a whole measure, a whole list of measurable quality indicators. So once you do that, then you're able to continue to compete against yourself to continue to increase the increase the bar uh, of your quality. And and so back to the original question: What do we do with with potential future partners? We show them our quality indicators. We show them our scores that are very data driven and very very specific. So I, I think you can lead you lead with that, uh, and and I think that's important. So as we look on the horizon and. Uh in terms of what's next in healthcare, what's next in payers, and so forth. What are you seeing, Bob, and um, how is Select positioning itself with regard to uh, the next wave of healthcare? Well, that's a it's, – it's a great question, and, and I'll start with a quote that I heard from a smart guy, I think on our board, uh, five, six years ago, and he said, if you're going to look into your crystal ball – uh, to for, uh, to see the future, you better be prepared to eat broken glass. Because, <laughs> I like that because the reality is is that none of us can really see the future in healthcare specific, and I, I think this applies to all industries. There are so many changes, unexpected, pandemic, nursing uh, shortage, change in government reimbursement. Uh, policy that comes out of D.C. There's things that can upend your business all all the time. And so what I say to people in our company is never, be, never bet the company or bet 
your company's success on your individual ability to see the future because you have a very good chance of being wrong. I think in part that comes back to humility uh, and, and recognizing that- And that risk-taking you, that you're mentioning. And the risk-taking mm-hmm. that you can't see. What I can say is that if you, if you take all, and what, what we try to do is if you take all your knowledge of what's going on in your industry and you say, what are the things that we can do that will make us successful under a whole range of things that may happen. So I'm talking about making investments in quality metrics, um, making investment in leadership training. Now, these are things that are longer term that you make investments in over a long time. And Jim, I know you know this because you do it yourself, is you invest in people, you invest in data, you invest in quality, you, you, you try to do all those things so that you're prepared so that when, when change comes that maybe you don't anticipate, you're maybe in a better position. Uh, you know, a strong balance sheet is, is one of those things as well. You don't want to be caught in an unexpected time when, when your leverage, which is maybe good in one time, and no better time than today, Jim, when you look at, you know, interest rates, you know, doubling, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to be prepared for that. I, I don't know that some people may have saw it, saw it coming, and I certainly didn't. So that's the way I look at the way I look at the future for all of our businesses. Well, healthcare is dynamic, changing, as you said, and uh, there are so many aspects of it that you have to keep pace with. How do you structure your day? How do you look, how do you manage? Like, you know what I mean? Uh, in terms of um, you have the people, you have the, the business, the balance sheets, um, you have personnel, you have the changing dynamics, uh, the pandemic that happened, et cetera, et cetera. How do you structure your day to remain an effective CEO? Well, as you know, we, you know, I'm a couple, a number of years ago, I moved from CEO to executive chairman, and I, I did that in in recognition of the fact that as our company grew to the size that we did, that there were other people who had skills that complemented my skills, and I was fortunate enough to recruit a CEO whose skills complimented mine. He was just so good at some things that I was not, were not my strengths. And I certainly have my strengths and I try to contribute those to the company. So part of most of my day today, what is given up thinking about and working on is all of about succession planning. It's about who are the, who are the great new leaders in our company and how can we help bring them along? Um, the other things about trying to figure out it when you get to a company that's a certain size, how do you allocate capital? You know, where does the where does the capital that's always scarce go within our company? Where are the where are the, the best opportunities? And uh, trying to focus on that. What are the the businesses that we should be acquiring versus building? Those are the things that are very high level. I, I'm pleased to say that you know our organization is today filled with so many great leaders that, that you know I'm able to 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 look at things on a more of a, a global level, and I really see myself and my day being there to help our leaders with a problem that they may have that whether they need my help or my advice, but oftentimes maybe just as a sounding board, just to talk something through. So I really view um, you know my day to be structured of what are the biggest issues that the company is facing and what can I do to help our leaders traverse those problems? Bob, what guidance would you give an emerging executive leader in terms of 
how to maintain the balance in their life if there is such a thing on the, on the, as you go through this. Because I know it can be all-consuming, but I also know that uh, mental and physical well-being is so important when you deal with the leaders is that they have to, they have to keep perspective. They have to keep energy and so forth. Can you, can you give some advice, Mayor, what you've done? Well, that's a tough one because everybody's different and, and different people thrive in different environments. We've heard a lot, a lot over the last decade about work-life balance, and, and I certainly believe in all that. I think it's true. But I also think that there's a fallacy, and uh, I don't want to get myself into the deep end of the pool here, but uh, that there's this prevailing thinking that you can have it all, you can do it all. Uh, and my experience is that you can't do it all. You have to pick what your priorities are, and then you have to focus on those and then create a balance for those. So, you know, you, you can have a great social life and a great golf game and a great career and a great family and be a great father and be a great husband or wife, it is difficult to do all of those things at a very, very high level. And if you if you decide that you're growing a company or you're growing your career and that's going to take up X percent, and then maybe you say, well, and then my family is important to me, my wife or my spouse and my my children, then some other things got to go. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't, you're not going to be a scratch golfer or you're not going to be able to travel to, to Vegas with the guys or the gals or, you know, you know, so I'm, and, and, and I and apologize if that sounds old school, but I do think that today's environment is, it's hard. It's hard. You've got to yeah, pick where your responsibilities are. One yeah. of the things I have seen though, and I see it in you and in many other leaders is you have to be energized and and have a passion for what you do as your work or your job or your, or, or whatever your vocation may be, you know, where it, where it, the strain is lessened, I think, just because you love what you do. Well, that's true. And, and you know, today, particularly in this environment, it, it's it's not so much about recruiting people. It's about retaining them. Right. And how do you get people to stay in your organization when they're there? And, I, you know, I, I've over the years, I've, I have some thoughts on, on what it is that makes people want to stay in the organization. Well, yeah. give us one of them. Give us one of your thoughts on <laughs> well, that. <laughs> This is, what, this is why I think people will stay with you in your organization. There's three things, and in no particular order, but everyone's. Is one, they like the people that they work with. That's very, that's very important. Uh, number two, they're in a learning environment. They're learning something. And number three, there's someone in the organization that cares about their career. Now, you think about those three things, and you think if you have all three of those things, People are less likely to leave. Now, I didn't. You notice I didn't mention compensation. Not that compensation is not important. It's, it's of course it's important. It's vitally important. But if you have those other three things, people will not leave you just for a, a few extra dollars. They'll they'll stay committed if you can provide that environment. Now, what we try to do on on our best days, we provide that environment for our employees, and so because of the culture, and that's why they enjoy the people that they work with, someone cares about them. We try to have leadership programs so that they know that someone or many people care about their career. And if we can do all those things, then we can keep people so that the investment, as Jim knows, I mean, the worst thing is, is you invest in someone and then they leave and it's so expensive to recruit and then invest in those people. So 
the key is having them having them stay in your organization. So well, I think those things place. we have to do. I think so, and I think articulating the value of those employees to the company is really important because you're right. Ultimately, they want to be paid well, and they will look at that. But uh, I know with two Gen Zers myself, they want to know the company cares. Well, that's right. They do. They do. And, you know, you hear, you hear more and more about this sense of purpose. And I think that, that that's certainly important. They have to be passionate, going back to what Jim said, they have to be passionate about what they're doing, whether it's healthcare, whether it's banking or whatever. But you have to provide that, in, that environment, I believe, that environment of the people that they work around and that they're learning something and that there's somebody there cares about their development. Thank you so much for joining us, Bob, uh, on at PNCC Speak this this no. week. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jim. I'm Nell McCormack, Avon. Thanks. I'm Jim Hohen, and this is C-Speak, the language of executives. Our guest today was Bob Hortensio, executive chairman and co-founder of Select Medical. And we want to thank our listeners for joining us for this episode of PNCC Speak. You can find more episodes of C-Speak at witf.org slash C-Speak and on your favorite podcast podcast platforms. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.